Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. The author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, lots of other shows on TV. She presented her own 90-minute PBS special in 2005 called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. We are really lucky tonight. I think you remember back in October when we had um, our visit to Toronto to go to the International Association of Privacy Professionals Conference. It was a great summit in Toronto. And we met someone who was just a real treat and a a real help to me and a great privacy professional, and that was Peter Cosmel. I'm going to tell you about him in a a couple of minutes, but if you remember, I was worried in studying for the test to become a certified information privacy professional. The big test. The big test, almost as bad as the bar exam, but not quite. But but, um, Peter was wonderful in providing great materials to study, study guide and some help, and he actually is responsible for the association's privacy credentialing program. So he is just terrific. And here we are in the University of California, Irvine, and a lot of our students may be interested in becoming privacy professionals. And of course, all the people driving by the businesses may be hiring chief privacy officers. So this is a really important issue. And remember, we we had a lot of fun getting to know him in a personal level when we were at that hockey Hockey Hall of Fame. The Hockey Hall of Fame. So let me tell you a little bit about Peter's background. And he's coming to us all the way from the cold East Coast. Peter is the assistant director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And he oversees membership services. And he's responsible for all of the association's privacy credentialing programs, which now they have quite a few. Back in 2004, he helped develop and launch the first ever broad-based certification in information privacy, the Certified Information Privacy Professional. And since then, he's developed special credentialings for uh, the government, uh, U.S. government privacy. So those people who are chief privacy officers, if you remember, we interviewed the chief privacy officer for TSA. We, We interviewed the chief privacy officer for the United States Postal Service, and these people can become CIPPGs. (laughs) 
certified information privacy professionals for the government. And now they even have a Canadian privacy uh, certification that they started when we were in Toronto. And today he manages all these programs and the course training, the exam administration, yuck, yuck, horrible, <laughs> no, and um, all the continuing education. So he's doing a terrific job with that. Now, prior to joining the International Association of Privacy Professionals, he worked successfully in a variety of consulting and entrepreneurial and corporate environments. For example, um, he was managing director with strategic consulting a firm called Progress Partners. He also advised corporate clients on international business strategy and marketing technology integration as an associate with online marketing consulting company Upstream Group, that was the name of it, Peter authored and presented professional development programs for internet marketing executives. And he also had a, the opportunity to speak at a, a quite a few national events on the topics of online marketing and emerging advertising platforms. He also spent years in software product management, such as the, as the director of product um, syndication for MyWay.com and managed marketing technology operations for Planet Direct. He also had roots in advertising and publishing, and one of the things he did was he was a technology publisher for Wired Magazine, which I read all the time. And you can learn more about him and the association at privacyassociation.org. So we're really lucky to have him, and I'm so thrilled that he could join us. Peter, are you there? I am, and thank you thank you for having me today, Marie. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. All right, so let's get started. Okay, so Peter, you have had all this background in marketing and advertising. So how did you get into privacy? Sometimes that's at odds, isn't it? It is. I mean, uh, the, my exposure to privacy was really in the in the online realm, and in my capacity as uh, as director of syndication uh, for MyWay.com, which was a, a holding of um, of CMGI, which was one of the major internet companies in the 1990s that grew very rapidly, and then of course sort of contracted just as rapidly. But the um, the, the central premise behind MyWay.com was a was a family you know family focused uh, consumer content service that was distributed by ISPs. And other partners, and that included banks and retailers. And as such, uh, it was a registration-driven uh, content service, and relied on a lot of stated registration information from end users on the web. And we were one of the first to capture a lot of information online, including zip code and personal, um, you, know, you know, personal name and address, etc., to localize uh, and and target content and services to these people. So. It was it was a contextually based targeted content service, and as such, there were a whole host of privacy issues that went along with that. Uh, for example, part of the service concerned children's content, gaming and sweepstakes and various contents, uh, or sorry, contests, and thus we had to be very cognizant of the provisions under COPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, to make sure that as a website operator we were consistent with with the practices uh, mandated under that law. And then just generally in terms of connect, collecting any kind of PII or personally identifiable information in the process of delivering targeted content and advertising to these customers, of which there were about 4 million uh, around the world distributed through the various partners that we had. So my exposure to privacy was really online privacy as opposed to a more traditional, say, um, or healthcare or financial services background where it's, it's very compliance-driven and very law-driven. This certainly had a mix of law, but there were a lot of best practices as well. Boy, yeah, you really got thrown into it, didn't you? I did. It and, was, and this was in the <laughs> early days of, of the web, too, sort of right. around 1995, 96, 
when uh, in many ways it was uncharted territory. So we, we had to feel our way through it. And thankfully, I can say there were never any major issues that we encountered, although others in the space certainly did. Um, many folks may recall uh, around that time that um, DoubleClick got into a bit of hot water um, with the acquisition of Abacus Direct, which was a direct right. marketing firm, uh, in their attempts to, to target various services to consumers online. And, and that was a lesson that we all drew from. And I'm sure you became very sensitive to it after that, too. We did, yes. <laughs> So you were a trailblazer then, too. <laughs> Always a trailblazer. So let's talk a little bit about the International Association of Privacy Professionals, because the whole privacy profession is really growing by leaps and bounds. So let, let's talk about the profession of privacy professionals. Sure. What's happening? Well, we're finding that it's at a very interesting stage in its development. It's a, it's a relatively young profession, as, as many folks will, will know. Um, unlike, say, the information security space, which traces its roots to the emergence of information technology in the 1960s and 70s, and, and now numbers, um, you know, members through various organizations in the many tens of thousands, we're still a fairly young profession. Um, the IPP itself was founded just in 2001, and in a relatively brief six years, we've grown from a, just a handful of, of professionals, mainly chief privacy officers, to over 3,000 uh, privacy professionals of all levels, not just senior executives, but compliance managers, uh, privacy directors, strategists, consultants, attorneys, everyone who's touching a, a, you know, an information privacy issue, whether for their organization or on behalf of clients, and notably from around the world, um, where it, it, it sort of had origins in the U.S. and Canada, it's now spread to over 23 nations globally. And in terms of the profession, what we're seeing in its evolution is that it's moved from uh, you know, a fairly low visibility or, or, or ill-defined function into something that increasingly um, folks are wanting to know more about. I mean, privacy and security issues are, are regularly on the front pages of major newspapers and magazines today and on the web, and it's, it really calls for the need and for a, a defined role, a, a, per, a person that handles these issues on behalf of their organizations, that is the privacy professional, and where it may have at one point been strictly a compliance function in terms of complying with relevant laws in the U.S. and elsewhere, it's still very much that, but it's also growing into, uh, into a role that, that, that really demands an understanding of, of practices and standards, technologies to a large degree, with the emergence of a lot of web-based businesses. So it's become a lot more multidisciplinary, and we see that trend continuing in the years to come. Yeah, I've seen since I joined back when you first started. Would you say what was it, two thousand and and one? And yeah. one, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I, I was at the first uh, privacy association. I think I was actually presenting at the first one on a panel with Beth Givens and, and Larry Poneman That's right. years ago. And um, I mean, I have really seen it grow tremendously in those years that I've been a member. So let's talk about the need to have this international international association of privacy professionals. So, you know, why? How did it get started and why did it get started? Well, as I said, it, it was once a, a loose affiliation of, of primarily senior privacy officers, um, the, I, the, the, the IACPO, the International Association of Chief Privacy Officers. And that, that basically became, it merged with another smaller organization and became the IAPP in 2001 with the charter of broadening the definition of the profession or really establishing an understanding of what the profession is. But inherent in that, being able to include a lot of different people at different levels and with different skill sets, not just the senior officers that had sort of driven the agenda uh, for a number of years. So the mandate was much broader, but a group came together, um, mainly chief privacy officers, many of whom comprise the, our board of directors today, 
and anyone who visits privacyassociation.org can see um, what our leadership is comprised of. You'll see a lot of major corporate names such as uh, such as Marriott International and Nationwide Insurance and Procter and Gamble, IBM, Microsoft, HP, Intuit, a lot of major technology companies, but also some government agencies, um, the United States Postal Service and the uh, Department of uh, the Treasury, as well as uh, higher education institutions, the University of Colorado and Pennsylvania and others. So we're covering a lot of privacy issues around across the, the public and private sectors in corporate environments, in nonprofit environments, and educational institutions. And as such, um, that's, been, that's been a change that sort of kept pace with the marketplace as a whole. So as the, as the profession has grown, so, so too have we grown with, with it as really the only organization that represents the privacy professional. And importantly, we're not a trade association, so though, we're, though our ranks include a number of notable recognizable companies. We're not, in fact, representing the companies as much as the people that work within the companies. So our job is to equip individuals, professionals in the marketplace with the resources and tools they need, which include major conferences uh, as gathering points to network it with peers on issues, as well as credentials, such as the CIPP, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and other programs in terms of uh, job development resources and research that we make available. Yeah, it's a terrific website at privacyassociation.org. It really has a tremendous amount. So if you're listening and you're interested in the profession, or even if you're interested as a business owner and you want to hire a privacy professional, chief privacy officer, or even a consultant, that is a good place for you to go. Isn't that right? That's correct. Okay. So in terms of, you know, the actual association, um, what is it that, um, are you finding that a lot of companies now are actually hiring chief privacy officers? I know a lot of companies that I know of still that are, let's say, mid-sized companies have their legal department handle the compliance. Are you seeing a big shift in, in actually having that uh, general counsel become a chief privacy officer training them, or are they hiring from outside? Well, we, we see a shift. I, I would say it's a gradual shift, though, and it's, uh, it's, it's, there's still quite a lot of ways that organizations are approaching it, certainly corporations, um, where, as I said earlier, historically it, it has been a, a primarily compliance-focused function where uh, if, if the chief privacy officer, if, if the role exists in an organization, is focused on, on compliance with relevant laws and standards in the jurisdictions in which the company or the organization operates. Um, now we're seeing that it's that, um, that in those places where they've assigned a corporate privacy officer, um, the, the team that operates underneath that corporate officer, whether that he or she uh, resides within, uh, within a legal department or within an operational group that reports directly to the senior management of the company, the groups that within that, uh, or with, with under, the, under the leadership of that role, are growing. So middle, there's a middle management layer that, that seems to be growing in terms of privacy managers, um, if, whether that's with respect to compliance with very specific laws, so say an insurance company that may have a chief privacy officer but also a HIPAA compliance manager for someone that's just specialized on health insurance uh, privacy compliance, uh, as just one example, or a bank that has a, a GLBA expert, someone who's, who's uh, well-versed in, in the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act and all of its uh, provisions for financial services privacy. Um, also, we're seeing, we're seeing the privacy role emerge in technical and operational areas. So people, for example, in charge of um, software product management or product development that want to make sure that they're on top of all the privacy implications. Um, some of the issues I talked earlier about online privacy is a great example for any company that's doing business on the web or developing web-based products. 
it, it behooves them increasingly to get someone who is well-versed in those issues. So as they architect these services and products, they're very cognizant of all the practices and legal standards that they need to be complying with. Uh, certainly better that than to have to go back and retrofit something that was not compliant in that regard and, and thus have legal exposure to the company. So there's still a lot of law involved in the role, but that's not to suggest that a pr- today's privacy professional must be an attorney or must hold a very deep legal knowledge. I think they do need to understand the fundamentals of of information privacy law, indeed, from around the world. But there's also a practical component and a technical component, and that's one of the main drivers behind the certifications that we've developed, which are deliberately very broad-based and focused to make sure that folks have exposure to all of those elements. Right. You know, it seems to me, and and I know that this is happening in a lot of uh, companies, is that the chief privacy officer will still have to be working in coordination with the legal department, even if they aren't lawyers. And they're going to have to work very closely with the IT department and the security department, even if, you know, they're not techies. So it, this is kind of, like you said, it, it, it overlaps in so many ways that they have to work together collaboratively. Indeed. I mean, it's really, and it's really for the benefit of the organization that they do that. And in terms of, you know, in terms of communicating effective policies and procedures and practices, um, that's, there's, there's an external component and an internal component. I mean, in many ways, the, the chief privacy officer uh, is often called upon to be the, you know, the external spokesperson or the, the person who articulates, whether through a publicity arm of the company or directly to the public, what the company's practices are so that co- consumers are comfortable with those practices. And as well, internally, to all the employees, the various uh, stakeholders, the, the, the other units of the company where privacy comes into play, such as marketing, operations, if it's a technical company, software development and management, to make sure that they're well-versed in what the company's uh, procedures and policies are, and that, as we like to say, they are baking privacy in to what they do on an everyday basis. Right. So the, the chief privacy officer better, better well be a good mediator, right? <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would say so, yes. <laughs> because if they want to uh, make sure that everybody is covering their bases, but at the same time they have to get along with the different, uh, de- you know, the marketing department. I would, you know, sometimes I know the marketing department is at ads with the, with the privacy department because they think, well, gosh, you're, you know, you're, putting handcuffs on us or something. Yeah, so, the, the perception of the CPO in that role is that, they're, that, that they may sort of lock things down or, right. or prevent things from happening, and that's understandable because, you know, the essence of compliance is that you're, you're not sort of stepping outside of those very strict legal boundaries. But I think we're moving very quickly to, particularly in, in an information-based economy that we operate in today that's, that's increasingly global right. and that's increasingly digital, where information is flowing and transferring with increased velocity and in so many different ways and with, you know, storage ca- capabilities increasing, uh, you know, it's, it really it's becoming more a matter of maximizing the information assets that an organization has, but doing it in a prudent way that respects laws, obviously, and respects customer preferences. Right, because as we know, well, let me ask you this. I was just going to say we know that, that privacy, if good privacy uh, pr- you know, promotes good trust, and then good trust promotes uh, very good customer service, and and people will want to do business with people that they trust and, and companies that they trust. And I think at this, I think at this stage in the in the evolution of the pr- of, of the profession, and and indeed the perception of privacy in the general public, for a time, privacy, you know, sound privacy practice can be a key differentiator. But as as the visibility of the profession grows and, and a privacy professional becomes a more understood and more widely adopted role in many organizations, it, it will become less of a differentiator, one would hope, and more of a standard uh, feature 
um, but still very, very key to the, to the overall trust building in that organization. Right, and I think companies that really value trust and really promote the privacy issues um, really do a, a value-added, you know? It's a value-added at this point, like you said, and I think people are starting to, to want that kind of uh, respect that you're talking about. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking when I was back in law school, oh my gosh, back in the early 80s, and there was the only thing I ever learned about privacy was the tort of privacy, you know, defamation yes. and false light and all that stuff and search and seizure law, of course, and uh, the Fourth Amendment. And we didn't learn anything about the right to privacy really as information privacy. So could you give um, some kind of a definition of what we're talking about right now in the information age? What are we talking about in terms of privacy? Well, we're talking we're talking about information privacy, as you mentioned, and that's the, as an as a general area of discipline. That's the area that IEPP is most focused on. There are other definitions of privacy, say you know some of the bodily privacy protections that are inherent in the U.S. Constitution that we you know a right from uh, right from search and seizure, for example, mm-hmm. um, that we don't go so far into, and it also has a there's also a security component in terms of national security issues, um, the, the fight against terror here in the U.S., that privacy does have a piece of. But when we really talk about information privacy, we're talking about really the handling of customer or citizen information in the context of doing business or in the context of conducting government. And as I said, in, in, an, in an information economy and in, a, in an environment where technology is just driving so much of what we do or powering so much of what we do, um, there are, you know, there are essentially, you know, practices and procedures that one needs to keep in mind in, in how one handles this information, um, which can take many forms um, in terms of what, what the various pieces of the, uh, of the person's identity may be, as well as different formats that it may exist in, if it's digital or in paper or physical form. Um, but we're, we're, you know, we're most devoted to the, the responsible management of that kind of information and we provide a, a number of different resources and guidelines and, and outright certifications uh, to individuals in business and in government with regard to how they can handle information responsibly. Right. So, you know, we've talked on this show before about fair information practices, talking about the, you know, the control that, that citizens or consumers have with regard to their information about how the information is collected, how it's used, how it's stored, how it's protected, how it's transferred, you know, how it's uh secured, all that good stuff. That's right. And um, so that's what we're talking about today so that people understand, because we have talked about the um, the other kinds of privacy on this show as well. We talked about the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment and, and other issues of it. So today we're talking about information privacy, and that's what the focus is, because big companies are under such pressure now with all the security breaches and like you said, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, the, the Financial Modernization Act, the Healthcare Privacy Acts, all those things, we really are all under the gun as to what do we do with this, you know, huge amount of information that's so easily stored and transferred and, and sold or whatever. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about your program, which I think is terrific, and, and I am happy to say that I uh, learned a lot. I, I took the one-day course. I studied before. And you suffered through that exam. I suffered through the <laughs> exam, and, and, you know, thank God I passed it, so now I'm a CIPP also. Yes, and, and congratulations yes, to you, and, and, and thank you for participating in the program. Yes, and thank you for being so helpful. I really appreciated that, and I think you've done a terrific job, and I think it's a challenge because there is so much going on in this area that it's, uh, you know, I mean, not only in the United States, but to know a little bit about what's going on in the European Union and, and everywhere else. So let's let's talk about what this program, but I first want to reintroduce you for those people who are just listening in before we get to the heart of all your, your new baby that you've developed <laughs> since 19, uh, 2004. We're speaking with... Um, a uh, with Peter Kosmala, who is the assistant director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. He is the gentleman who who really birthed and launched the first ever certification in information privacy, which is called the Cert- the Certified Information Privacy Professional. And he is um, have, doing a terrific job managing all the programs and the course training and the exam administration for continuing education. So, Peter, tell us everything about this program. And uh, you, this has really been your heart and soul for a few years, right? It has indeed. And, uh, if it, you know, the, the reason we devised the program um, is a number of reasons, but one goes straight to the heart of uh, of a question you asked earlier, which is how how does an organization know what they need in the way of a privacy professional, or what this what a, what a professional can do, or what value it can serve in their organization, and establishing a, a baseline standard of knowledge um, is is a, a logical first step in in helping that organization evaluate a candidate. Um, so one of the one of the reasons we devised the the first credential in information privacy, the CIPP. Um, was to establish this standard um, through a reputable third party ourselves, a, a, you know, an, an independent, not-for-profit organization that represents the field, and establish a, a set of of, um, of guidelines around the what we consider to be the essential laws, practices, procedures, and technologies in information privacy that a you know that any any candidate, irrespective of their of their experience level or even their position in in the field today, ought to know at a fundamental level. So the CIPP is just that, and that's why it's equally relevant to an established privacy officer who's been in the field for many years and maybe a CPO, a chief privacy officer, all the way down to someone who is a a compliance manager who is responsible for compliance with a very specific privacy law or function, all the way down to someone who is an entry-level candidate who may just be coming out of school, uh, having studied uh, information technology, but wants to get more into the privacy piece as opposed to the security piece. This is a credential that would suit all three. And once the individual attains the credential, that represents that they have established a, an, a, you know, a fundamental understanding of all these basic concepts in these areas. And an organization that they may go to after that, who may consider them for employment or promotion, will know that they understand those essentials and that they, they can provide that level of value to the organization in any number of those capacities. For the individual, for the person, one of the persons I just described, from the entry-level candidate all the way up to the senior-level uh, candidate, um, it makes them essentially more marketable over someone that is that is not credentialed with this certification um, because they've established this understanding and it's been validated by an organization such as ourselves. So that entry-level candidate has now got a leg up over others that may have um, credentials that don't relate to privacy or no credentials at all. 
um, for the CPO, the, the senior level executive who feels fairly well established in their field, um, it, it may not serve quite the same function, but it will validate that they know what they claim to know. So the body of knowledge that they've established over their many years of experience has been validated by a reputable third party, and they can say that they, you know, they have attained that knowledge standard. Okay, so let's say we, you know, here we are sitting at the University of California in Irvine, and we also have people in Newport Beach, California, and I know it's on the other side of the world for you, but this is, you know, Orange County, like you've heard of the OC, yes. and so we have people driving by, and we have people who might be saying, you know, that sounds like an interesting career, um, and some of our graduates might be saying, well, gee, you know, instead of going to law school, maybe I should think about training to be a certified privacy professional. That's a growing area. I'm, uh-huh. I'm good at IT or I took a lot of computer courses or whatever. So um, what should they be doing and what should they be studying? Well, there, there's a number of, um, there are a number of places to go and, and uh, you know, the body of knowledge is always growing. The, um, I'm excited to announce that we're, we at the IPP are about to publish this year, uh, in April of this year, our first textbook for the program, the CIPP textbook. It's called Information Privacy, and it was actually written by uh, Peter Swire, who is the, uh, who, who is the um, C. William O'Neill uh, Professor of Law at the Moritz College of Law at the Ohio State University. He now, also, Peter also was on our show, and, he, right. and he was the privacy czar for Clinton. He was indeed. He was ostensibly the first chief privacy officer in U.S. government and during the Clinton administration. So right. has a very broad knowledge of, of both uh, privacy issues in both the private and public sectors. And uh, he has written this book on behalf of IPP along with, uh, with his associate writer, uh, Saul Berman, who, who heads up the Center for Inter- Interdisciplinary uh, Public Policy and Law Studies at Ohio State. And uh, this book will come out as really the, as the standard reference for anyone that's pursuing the CIPP credential, as well as folks that are already CIPP who just want a really good desk reference for all the issues that we cover. But that's by no means the only published work that's out there. Um, IAPP publishes a, a bibliography of recommended reading on privacy that is freely available at privacyassociation.org in our certification resources section. The bibliography is available as a downloadable PDF document, and it contains live hyperlinks um, to the actual titles that we list, and you can procure those on Amazon.com or you can get them at your local library. But they're divided into each of the five subject matter areas that we address under the CIPP program, and that includes privacy law and compliance, uh, workplace privacy, so privacy in, within an organization, um, information security from a privacy perspective, web privacy and security, so all the web-based issues, and data sharing and transfer, so everything having to do with data flows within an organization across to subsidiaries, even over borders and geographies. And you'll find a list of five or six uh, titles under each of those that may be very useful reading for anyone who just wants to know more about the issues that, that uh, we are addressing, whether or not it rises to the standard of a certification and they decide that that's something that they want to pursue or just get more familiar with what, um, what they ought to know. Yeah, that it, your resources are great. So you can get that at privacyassociation.org, and you can download those resources. And even you even have a sample test for people to look at the sample test on there. And, That's right. And an outline of, you know, what's really important to know. You know, it's interesting. We had on a professor from, and you may know him, Mark uh, Rossico, who, yeah. uh, do you know him? 
I do. He, yeah, um, so he, he was, was affiliated our, with the University of Alberta program. He is, yes. Yeah. And actually, he still is there. We interviewed him just, uh, I guess, a few months ago. And he told us about his program. He actually has, and I was going to ask you if you knew if there was any other, but he told us he had um, really one of the first or the first online uh, courses for to become a, um, you know, to get a degree in information privacy. Is That's that correct? correct? There's, yeah. Um, there's, very few, uh, there's very few colleges and universities presently that, that address this, that address information privacy with a specific program or uh, a certificate or degree. Uh, the University of Alberta in Canada is one of those, and Mark Roscoe, a ter- terrific gentleman who runs the program there, which very coincidentally is called the IAPP Certificate, although I know it has that nothing <laughs> to do with the IAPP, and this is because it's called the Information Access and Protection of Privacy Certificate. Uh, but it is a four-year certificate program that they offer at the university. It's, it's, uh, it's focused primarily on Canadian information privacy issues, yes, that yes. Canadian regulatory environment, and talks mostly about information access rights. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, well, a lot of topics around how do, how do citizens obtain uh, and, and, uh, and rectify records held on their behalf or about them by government agencies. But it does cover some private sector issues as well, and it's a terrific program. It actually works very much in concert with a professional credential that the IPP offers, which is the CIPP slash C or CIPP Canada, the Canadian, which right. is focused exclusively on the private sector. So, what actual corporate privacy practitioners are doing in Canada? Um, so, one could ostensibly take the Alberta course for three years, come out with a certificate, and when you're ready to go go to work and you want to certify yourself in corporate practices, you would pursue the CIPPC. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's a terrific program. We talked to him about that. and, and But I don't know of anything in the United States that's doing that except for the International Association of Privacy Professionals. So you've, well, there you've, is a John Marshall University out of oh, Chicago, Chicago, Illinois, uh-huh. does offer a, an informa- information privacy degree out of their, uh, out of their IT law group. Uh-huh. And we will actually be there in, in May of 2007 uh, with an exam event. We'll be bringing it to Chicago for anyone who's interested in the, in the region. But for those that want to pursue information privacy here in the States, that, that is a tremendous program. And there's a couple of others that are emerging as well. So it's, uh, as I say, as the profession matures and as the needs um, just... just um, just really gather more and more momentum, I think you'll see universities and other institutions of higher education responding with formal programs and courses. But as I said, the IPP is, is, all, is, is consistent with that mission of, of, uh, of, of spreading the education, and we, I think we offer ultimate benefit to folks when they're ready to work in the marketplace and to equip them with the, uh, with the tools that they need to function, uh, whether that's in a, a not-for-profit, a corporate, or a government environment. We can do all three. Right. We're speaking with Peter Kosmala, who is the really the leader right now in training for the uh, International Association of Privacy Professionals. He's coming to us all the way from the East Coast. Now, Peter, you know, it would be interesting to see if, you, you know, if the International Association of Privacy Professionals does collaborate more with some of these, maybe these law schools or these other universities that are putting together programs. I think you really have a lot to teach them. 
Thanks. Yeah, we, we actually will be announcing, or we just did announce, actually, at our, our first major event of 2007, the IPP Privacy Summit in Washington, D.C., the formation of a privacy scholarship fund uh, with, with underwriting support from KPMG. And there is also the Ron Plesser Fellowship, which is named after uh, the great privacy attorney from, uh, from Piper Rudnick, who, pa- who unfortunately passed away just a couple of years ago. There's a, a scholarship in his honor that we support as well. And we will, I, I, I would uh, bet on it, um, get close, more closely affiliated with a lot of the educational institutions that start to offer uh, more education programs and information privacy for folks that want to pursue that as a career early on. I think it's terrific. And I, one of the other things I really honor about what you're doing with this training program is that you're requiring continuing education so that you don't just get stuck with what you know and then keep doing what you're doing and not be forced to really, you know, enhance your knowledge about what's going on because it is such a rapidly changing profession. I mean, for me, you know, I, I get my clips from, you know, the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Another thing you have is you have these emails that I get every day yes, that's <laughs> with, right. with clippings and of, of important issues that are going on in the country, whether it's on identity theft, which is one of my issues, or whether it's on security breaches or the Real ID Act or whatever it is, you're giving us that great information in, a, in an email to keep us, you know, informed and up to date on what's happening in, in, throughout the, the world and especially in our country on, on privacy. That's so, great. Yeah, for those of you listening, Marie's referring to the Daily Mari. Dashboard, which is, our, it's which is our daily news digest that we send via email, and that's an opt-in process, folks. It's not a spam email that we're sending out. We would never right. do that. So <laughs> right. members, it's something that's a member benefit that, uh, that folks receive, but even folks that aren't members of the IPP can take advantage, um, again, by visiting privacyassociation.org, and you'll get a, a daily digest of all the privacy and security-related news that occurred that day around the world that would be of interest to you. Right. So, you know, this would, if you're not sure if you want to go into the profession, at least this would give you a chance to kind of see what's going on and and it might even spur your interest to consider doing that. I think as we're talking about many people who are already in a profession doing this, one of the ideas of having the certification is so you don't have to go back to school and try and get some other degree. You can be certified in doing what you're doing to do a better job what you're doing. Although I do think, as we're seeing, like John Marshall, we're going to be seeing more and more schools developing these kinds of uh, degrees. Do you think that's correct? I think that's probably a a trend that will continue, yes. Yeah. So in terms of um, the members, would you say most of the privacy officers right now come from the legal field? Is that what you're finding? Well, that was certainly the basis of it to start, but now it's diversifying a lot more. And particularly in those industries where privacy is a big, or certainly information privacy is a big driver, namely the healthcare industry, the financial services, banking and insurance industries, the pharmaceutical industry, even the retail and technology industries, we, we have very strong representation in terms of our membership across all of those ranks. And it's not always legal professionals. It's a, it's a mix of, of, of legal, operational, and technical professionals that span all of those, uh, all of those industries and work in various capacities. So how many people have actually passed your CIPP exam now? How many folks have passed it? Yeah, how many? We have certified just over 1,200 professionals around the world uh, through one or more of our credentials, the CIPP, the CIPPG, or the CIPPC. And the CIPP was the first program which came together in 2004, as you mentioned earlier, so it's the oldest. 
Um, the CIPPC, the Canadian program, launched just last October, and the CIPPG, our U.S. government program, launched in March of 2005. Each one of them are three-year uh, cert- certification programs, meaning you must pass the, the respective examination, and then you're certified for a period of three years from the date of your exam. And there are uh, continuing education obligations that you need to meet. Uh, to Marie's point earlier, we want to make sure that you're well-versed in what's happening in the marketplace as the marketplace changes, and continuing education is the best way to do that. So you remain connected to the industry through conferences, events, publications, reports, all of which you can submit for credit consideration on your uh, requirements. So you just had a program in Washington, D.C., and you have some other ones coming up. What are some of the other events that are coming up in, in 2007 and 2008? Right. We just wrapped our largest event in our history, actually, which is the IPP uh, Privacy Summit in Washington, D.C., which was held the first week of March and featured over a 1,000 attendees, um, which was ostensibly the largest single gathering of privacy professionals in the world ever, and we hope that that will grow. Uh, Our next major event will be in the fall of 2007, uh, on October 26th through the 29th, at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco, and that will be the site of the IAPP Privacy Academy, which is the other event of the year that we hold. And the difference between the two events is the summit is primarily positioned as our, as our annual membership gathering, so that's why a lot of folks turn out to that um, for a discussion of uh, a lot of peer discussions around various industry issues. There's a lot of international topics discussed, and it also takes on more of a public policy bent uh, with its Washington, D.C. location. So we attract a lot of regulators and a lot of uh, government privacy officers to speak. The Academy is more of an operational uh, workshop of sorts. So it goes very deep on very specific tactical issues that privacy professionals need to know, whether that's compliance with a very specific law or standards and practices, various auditing frameworks that they can put together for auditing privacy procedures within their company, um, dealing with international data flows, any number of very pressing topics that privacy professionals deal with today. It gets very deep into those. But we'll have a, we'll have a very impressive selection of keynote speakers and other session participants as well. And that full program will be announced toward the the summer of 2007 with registration to open then as well. So how many times a year do you have the actual exams offered? Well, we offered our our certification exams uh, at 20 different events last year in 2006 that were held in uh, 16 different cities around the world. Most of those were in the U.S. and Canada, but we did get to Europe and even Asia. And we'll be doing that again in 2007. And if anyone is interested in knowing where they can train and test for certification, the the best suggestion is to visit the website at privacyassociation.org. And under the certification section, we have a page devoted to testing events. You can assume that testing is uh, t- training and testing for privacy certification will be offered at any major IAPP events, such as the summit and the academy that I just described. We also have a number of smaller events that we host over the course of the year. Um, some of these have not been announced yet as of, as of this conversation, but they are posted to the website once they are formalized and registration opens for them. So we'll do everything from the largest conferences, which bring together many hundreds and thousands of, of, uh, of uh, professionals together, information security and privacy alike, to much smaller events that are either single-day forums on a specific topic or even an event that's devoted just to testing. Um, we'll do. Uh, we'll offer our programs at all of those varieties. So, Peter, what percentage of the people who take the test pass it? Well, that's seventy-five percent so far, and that's consistent with industry trends across other credentialing programs that are offered in, for example, information security or information auditing, such as the the well-known CISSP credential or. 
CISA or CISM. Um, ours is a much shorter format exam, you'll be happy to know. It's just a two-hour uh, multiple-choice objective exam. There's, there's no essay questions for the programs that we've developed so far. And uh, you must achieve a score of 70% or greater in order to pass the exam. And 75% of those folks that I mentioned earlier uh, have, have passed the exam, uh, all 1,200 of them to date. All right. So what do you, what do you think um, is going to be the, the kind of the future of the IAPP as you're seeing now universities are going to be starting to do some credentialing? You know, how do you see the role changing of the IAPP as you go forward? Well, one of our largest mandates is to get more international. So where, we've been, where we have been based in the U.S., and that won't change necessarily, we look to establish a pre- dedicated presence in a number of other uh, locations around the world. And I'm speaking in, in the far future here, not just next year and beyond. But our, our full intent would be to establish more programs, resources, and perhaps even offices in the regions that uh, that are that also deal with privacy issues, um, not just here in the states where we've been pr- focused primarily up until now, and this would include Europe, so places like the United Kingdom and and Germany and France and elsewhere, uh, as well as the Asia Pacific region, uh, so Singapore and Japan and Korea and Thailand, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand, etc. Um, each of these nations uh, have have unique privacy issues that they deal with challenges various stages of maturity in terms of how information laws and practices have been developed and uh, and mandated of of uh, both governments and and uh, and uh, corporate organizations and so we would seek to serve our professionals in those regions and we have representation there now and we just expect that to grow more and more so um, I, for the future, I see more robust growth on the international stage, and our, as well as our ability to de- deliver relevant programs and services to meet that demand. So, Peter, are you going to be making up no, new exams for all of these different kinds of laws? Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's quite likely that we will we will develop specialized credentials in uh, the geographies that we serve. So, it's quite likely that we would have something to offer. Uh, in Europe and in Asia Pacific, though I can't c- commit to you here and now what the timeline is. It's something that we're looking very seriously at. We're also looking at developing um, credentials in specialized areas such as marketing or healthcare or financial services, where there's a whole slew of, of privacy considerations that are very specific to that industry sector. Lastly, we recognize the need for uh, senior privacy officers who have established themselves very well in the field. Um, to stretch themselves even further. And that's why another strategic um, priority of ours is to develop a master's program, what we have tentatively called uh, a Master of Information Privacy, or MIP. And this Mm. would take on a decidedly different uh, complexion than our current programs. Uh, For example, it may require uh, that you have so many years of experience already established. It may require that you have other credentials already earned and you may actually have to be referred by a peer to be considered. And we would only graduate a very select few a group of peer, or persons in a given year under that program. Um, you compare that to our existing uh, programs, which do have requirements, very modest ones, uh, just that you become an IPP member and that you master our foundation body of knowledge uh, by passing the exam. Um, but that will move through a full spectrum of needs moving forward. Yeah, you know, um, I... I wondered if you had gotten involved in legislation um, with regard to having people, like, for example, for to become an attorney, um, you have laws that you have to pass a bar exam, for example. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, are you all considering any kind of legislation to become, to, to force some kind of requirement to become a privacy officer? Well, our, our role, again, as a, as a professional association is not to step too closely into, into the world of, of, uh, of certainly of lobbying uh, or, or of endorsing a, an explicit position on a, on a privacy law or, or pending legislation, or even, for that matter, to advance a, a proposed legislation of our own. Um, given the diversity of perspectives that we have in our membership, that's a direction that would just be inappropriate for us to go. What we're very much behind and what we fully endorse are just better standards and practices in the field, as well as, of course, strong educational, um, establish, st establishing a strong educational foundation, whether that's through formal university programs, uh, credentialing efforts such as the ones we have now, or just other types of, of resources and programs that would serve to further the profession as well as better equip individuals that are working in the space. So we're often asked the question of, you know, what, what would you think about having a, you know, a U.S. federal privacy law established, which is something that, that is very much debated and, and, and may emerge as a possibility, certainly with, with the new U.S. Congress now in office or even, you know, quite possibly with a new president uh, in 2008 and beyond. Um, the U.S., unlike many nations around the world, lacks a federal-level standard for privacy. It, it's a more sectoral approach. But we haven't actually articulated an outright position on that. Uh, we, what we would do was encourage, is encourage a forum for discussion around that and encourage the expression of a number of different viewpoints around that as just one example. And so you have some working groups, don't you? We do indeed. Uh, we have working groups established around, uh, I believe it's eight different disciplines uh, from international privacy issues to marketing, uh, healthcare, financial services, higher education, U.S. government, they each have a thriving group of working privacy professionals that are part of the groups, and the groups interact virtually through uh, list serves, as we call them, online discussion boards where they can post messages, chat about recent developments, maybe even, uh, maybe even just share thoughts on a news item that they saw that morning in the daily dashboard. They also get together in person at our major events, the summit and the academy, each year for in-person discussions. Uh, in fact. For the lucky folks that have already passed the test and become certified, such as yourself, um, what they do on days that we administer the test is they attend one of our working group sessions, which is the other alternative you can do on that day of the conference. But that's a thriving part of our, of our services as well as just the whole networking piece, the ability through IPP to connect with others in your profession, indeed within your specific industry dealing with privacy issues. And you can do that at our events through, through just net networking at conferences, uh, by, par, by registering and participating in one of these industry-specific working groups, or even coming out to one of our uh, more informal uh, forum, forums that we have called Knowledge Nets, which are uh, basically quarterly meetings that are held over lunch and feature a speaker and are featured in over uh, 33 cities around the world. Right, and you can do it by phone as well. You can indeed. And I think one of the other nice things about the organization is that there's a lot of cross-mentoring. You know, there's people who are new to the field and then people who are very experienced in the field and they can cross-mentor each other as well. Have you uh, set up any kind of like big brother, little brother type of uh, situation where you will really pair someone who's new with someone who is rather new? I, lo I love the idea. It, we don't have a formal process defined for that, but certainly on an informal basis we are constantly putting folks in touch with each other. If there's a specific need and we know of, of someone that is just very well-versed in those issues, 
whether that re- results in just an informal discussion, uh, a, a personal meeting and a friendship comes, or an actual business relationship emerges from that, we're happy if any one or all of those is the result. But we're always putting folks in touch with each other, and I would think that, um, you know, as should our some of these, uh, these scholarships and endowments that we've been talking about today um, come to further fruition that, uh, you know, a mentoring process would likely emerge from that as well. So what do you think are going to be some of the, the newer trends in privacy for it itself? I mean, we're, we're seeing some things that are changing rapidly. We're seeing new legislation being introduced on security breach law, et cetera. What do you think are going to be the trends as we move forward in the future, not just for IAPP, but what, what kind of privacy issues are we going to be seeing? Well, I think we're, we're going to see many of the issues that we struggle with today uh, continue to be wrestled with because there aren't real, well, I would say they're real, there, there just aren't easy answers to many of these. And there's a plethora. I mean, I think chief among them would be, uh, would be identity theft and, and data breach uh, notifications. So keeping up with data breach notification laws here in the states, which are emerging rapidly on a state-by-state basis, but also seeing those emerge in countries that haven't established a firm standard such as Canada, uh, or even parts of Europe and in Asia, um, where you need to be on top of those things. Um, identity theft, um, online threats such as phishing and spam, which have, have just have changed and morphed in new directions where they become increasingly more complex, and that you know single answers, whether it's a, a law uh, or a technology, doesn't seem to be in and of itself the solution, that working and combining some of these solutions in, 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 in creative ways are more effective and understanding what those can be. So I, I see some of these existing trends um, in terms of their seriousness continuing to, to uh, well, pri- privacy professionals continuing to grapple with them. The other interesting uh, evolution I think you'll see is an increased convergence between the disciplines of information privacy and information security. And for those of you that, that don't understand the difference, I mean, information security, as I mentioned earlier, is, is uh, a, a more mature profession, if you will, with, with roots that go deeper into the 70s than privacy, which is a more recent profession. Uh, and security um, based a little bit more on the technologies and procedures, but really, it, it, in a nutshell, about creating boundaries around information so that information is protected. And privacy is more about the practices and procedures and, uh, and, and principles that go into handling the, inf- the information that's within that, that boundary that the information security professional has created. But what we found is that the privacy professional increasingly needs to mo- know more about that information security side. And conversely, the information security professional, who's been working in, primarily in an IT environment all this time, has, has really been called upon to understand more of the intricacies of privacy. So I, I don't know if the, the, the positions will merge, but you'll just see more uh, cross-disciplinary um, demands of each of those roles to the point where there'll need to be more collaboration uh, in those two areas, certainly within organizations, and we will need to do that on the, organiza- on the uh, uh, association side in terms of the, the resources and the services that we offer. Yeah, they say that you can have security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. That's, That's well said. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. And, you know, I was thinking about that right before when I asked you that question. I was writing down notes to myself about biometrics, about new technology, and I think it's, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and it's a little frightening for those of us who are not real high techies to understand all of these, you know, thing, everything from RFIDs, the radio frequency identifiers, to biometrics. We're going to be seeing, when you're talking about identity theft, we're going to be seeing more uses of, 
of biometrics or RFIDs and all of those technology issues, we as privacy professionals are really going to have to understand it at least at, at some level, like you said. And they're going to have to, in our in our counterparts in security, are going to have to take notice of what the privacy issues are. It's not easy. It's not, and there's <laughs> and at the same time, there's an, you know there's entirely new new areas and new businesses emerging, um, such as identity management, which is that process of uh, that you've mentioned. I mean, bi- biometrics is one example, where you're you're managing information using you know biological identifiers, whether that's a palm print, an iris scan, or, or some other kind of signifier that indicates a person is who they are. I mean, there's a technical dimension to that. There's very exciting things that the technology is enabling, but there's obviously very deep and very real privacy implications to the information or certainly the the identifiable information that's gathered through that process. And it's not to suggest that that technology should be shut down, um, but right, that we right. need to responsibly manage it moving it moving forward. And that's uh, that's where a privacy professional can have a huge role to play. Right. That's where we're going to be talking about what are the safeguards for privacy while they're developing th- developing this technology. So, you know, I know we've been interviewing, for example, in the past, and, and again, coming up, is uh, Senator Simidian, who is a California senator who has introduced a radio frequency identifier and, uh, you know, ta- he's very well versed in te- the technology and not against it, but he wants to build in safeguards, which is exactly what you're talking about, that kind of dialogue where I don't think that there's been enough of that. Do we? How, what percentage of the uh, International Association of Privacy Professionals is security officers? Is there? Do you have a percentage? We do. It's um, it, it's a, a modest percentage presently. It's about twenty-five percent of the of the th- three thousand or so members I've mentioned that we have. But that's a growing percentage, and and these are folks that serve that actually serve their organizations in, in an information security capacity, whether that's a CSO, a chief security officer, a CISO, chief information security officer, uh, even a CTO, chief technology officer. A lot of these folks hold uh, technical credentials in the security space, such as the CISSP I mentioned earlier, uh, which is the uh, Certified Information Systems Security Professional, or the CISM or CISA credentials, uh, which are basically auditing and information auditing and monitoring credentials, the Certified Information Systems Manager, CISM. Um, these folks, we find, uh, understand the value of a credential innately. Um, they, they were among the first to embrace it in their business, and they come to us for knowledge in the information privacy pers- uh, space in pursuit of the CIPP. So that's a, that's a growing percentage of our membership, and I see that, uh, and we're seeing very real examples of how uh, information security uh, uh, professionals, folks that are already affiliated with information security organizations, are coming to us uh, to become members uh, and, and basically uh, cross-train in, in, the, in the two disciplines. Uh, I mentioned the, the IPP Privacy Summit, which was the event we just held in March. Um, that, for the first time, uh, included a formal partnership that the IPP has established with ISC Squared, which is the International Information Systems Security Certification Consortium. That's a mouthful. ISC squared. Um, they are the leading organization in the information security space, so there are corollary on that side of the business. And they held a, a number of sessions at our event talking about these convergence areas, such as uh, ID theft, where there's an equal equal parts of, of security and privacy at play. Um, they also held a member reception and an exam for their own credentials at our event. 
So we'll continue to collaborate with them uh, as well, and I think that's indicative of that convergence of the two disciplines that I described earlier. Well, I look forward to that because I think that 25% could sure help me and in to become much more technology-oriented. We, we've been interviewing people who are very well-versed in biometrics and RFIDs so that we can help our audience to understand that blending as well. You have been just terrific to help us know more about what's going on in training in the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And uh, you want to give the website again? And I would be happy to. It's a Privacy Association. That's all one word, dot .org, for complete information on membership, uh, how to sign up for the free newsletter uh, that gives you daily news if you like, or even deeper uh, information on education and resources, including our credentialing programs that, that Marie mentioned, the Certified Information Privacy Professional, or CIPP, which is the only credential of its kind today. So uh, I thank you for having me on the program. It's been a pleasure speaking about these issues, and, and I urge folks to sign up and, and learn more about this important topic. Yeah, it is a terrific organization, and I, I'm very, very pleased to be part of it. And thank you so much for all of your help, Peter. And you are just terrific. So we'll thank have you. you on again next year to tell us all the new stuff you're doing. Great. All we'll right. talk again soon. Yes. Take care. Thanks, Marie. All right. You've been listening to... Peter Kosmala, who is the Assistant Director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and he is basically in charge of uh, the privacy credentialing program. If you're interested in becoming a certified information privacy professional in the information age, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net to learn more about our previous guests hear their interviews, download the podcast, and see our future VIP guests, please visit www.kuci.org slash privacy piracy. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here. Thank you, Lloyd, and have a great week. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.